right, we're back in downtown Toronto, and last night a huge agreement was reached uh, in women's hockey between the women who were st- striking and USA Hockey. Can you elaborate on this? Well, first of all, another week, a lot of things happened, which you just mentioned, which is a big factor. <clears throat> you told me you've been studying. I'm sure you've called your parents and told them how hard you're working, which is a bunch of crap, likely just laying around <laughs> and... Uh, so, uh, but, you know, you've got us convinced that you and the boys behind the table here have been studying or something. But in the meantime, there's been a lot of people studying, especially USA Hockey. Because it, it's, you know, it's very, very simple here. The girls took a position and they had to have an opportune time to do it. Because it, it was a very bold move. And USA Hockey, you know... Bad decisions make real good stories, Minion. And USA Hockey made a bad decision here. They were confronted with this because they'd been negotiating for years to get a better situation. To clarify, the agreement that they reached was a four-year deal. Each player will be paid $71,000 during non-Olympic years. And if the team manages to win a gold medal, they can they can make up to $100,000. The issue is not what they settle on, and this should. It was not only that; it was traveling conditions. They were flying in the back of the bus when the big boys were flying with the men. They were not staying in the same quality hotels. They were very underpaid, and the and USA Hockey tried to get scabs here. They called other girls, and the girls told them to suck eggs and two four times. Good for them. Yes. Could you imagine? It's your dream to play for this hockey team. Right. And then you're essentially asked to join as a replacement. Yeah. And and give them a lot of credit. But the point is, they made a lot of bad decisions here. And the issue was equity again. Fairness. That's all we're talking about. 18 U.S. senators sent letters. The Players Association, a number of the NHL players made it very, very public how they were on their side. And as I said here, USA Hockey, bad decisions make good stories. I'm talking about the decisions they made once and they were confronted with it. Not only the fact that there was a, it was a real unfair deal with the women, the fact is the decisions they made after that. And pretty soon they read the sympathy of the public. And God bless those young women for taking you know, good for good on them that they took a position. I mean, that's what the world's come to now. Is that people, you know, if you, you know, treat people the way they should be treated. And, you know, Pat Summit, one of the greatest women's basketball coaches, had a great statement. Players don't care how much you know unless you know how much they care. And USA Hockey didn't know how much they cared. And... And all they wanted was, as we've said a couple of times here, is a sense of fairness. And now they're going back. The World Championships are just a few days. You could be sure that they'd been working out and been, you know, you know. And and to the credit, the stars of the hockey team, and they they hung together. Oh, and it must have been so difficult, yeah. especially with the World Championship coming up. Geez, opportunity to show off their skill to the world. For many of them, arguably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And and like we want a coach to be a good listener, 
It was the circumstances created it. And what the public sympathy, but USA Hockey decided to be a good listener. However, that decision, what forced them to make that decision, the result was that they were a good listener. And now the women feel there's a sense of fairness, and they're always, always a top contending team. So uh, good for everybody, because now we're going to see a great team in the in the world championships and everything else for women's hockey, and it's a, just a great ending. However it came and whatever the cause was, and the fact is that they finally made a decision However, as we said before, to do the right thing, and the right thing was done. And we're going to look back one day, and these women are going to be viewed as heroes by other fe- aspiring female athletes because, right. I mean, they really took a firm stance, and they were saying, no, we're, uh, yeah. we're not going to do this unless we're treated fairly, so good for them. Sherry, moving into some NHL action, Connor McDavid, your former player, in his second year has led the Edmonton Oilers to their first playoff appearance since the 2005-2006 season. How about that? Well, everybody said they won the lottery. They didn't win the lottery. They won the biggest jackpot ever since Gretzky. That's what they won. They won like a, you know, world record Since Gretzky, not even since Crosby, since Gretzky. Crosby, Crosby too, not to demean. That's a good, good point. They don't like, you know great player but that's it's some kind of a you know they say oh they were lottery winners <laughs> lottery's an understatement because this guy with his character and his brilliance as a player and his ability and you know you could kind of feel even through the television when you see a team on an innocent climb as we've talked you and I have visited a lot about this you, they as players, because Connor's been on all these teams. That, you know, wherever he's gone, they win. Make no mistake about that. You know, it's just a fact of life. Because not just because of the player he is, because of the person he is. And you could, and he's felt this before, where this surging power. You start to, you know, you get this surging power, and therefore all your internal rivalries your turf wars or whatever they are, and any selfish behavior patterns, they're all set aside because they can feel what's going on here now. Now that they've made the playoffs, I know Connor McDavid personally. I'm proud to say that. Proud to say that we're very, very good friends. he, He, as the leader of that team, won't be satisfied with just making the playoffs because they got an honest chance to move up. Absolutely, and that is also contingent on goaltending, Sherry. It sure is. And and you always say goaltending, of course, is the most important part of any team. And Cam Talbot has played more games than any goalie in the league this year. He's had hardly any rest. Now that the Oilers have clinched a playoff spot, how do you see them handling his, his game's towards the start of the playoffs because, I mean, they could fight for home ice advantage. Oh, of they course. could. They are fighting that, for home well, ice advantage. Well, they are, but what do you value? Do you value that or do you value giving your goalie some rest ahead no, of the playoffs? No. Be- home ice advantage is a big factor, especially in the first round and so forth. That first round is such a delicate round because the tension, and I've been through it for many, many years. 
even though you're a favorite and even though, you know, anything can happen, there's been a... And then when you win that first round, you talk about that surge of power that's in your team that I just talked about. Talk about that feeling. But it's your... I mean, you're tense for every round. I mean, you know, that conviction and that commitment and, you know what I mean, make no mistake about that, that uh, one thing that they're one thing that's important to them right now and in the playoffs and in your surge to get home ice advantage if what you did yesterday looks big to you today then you haven't done much today because when you talk about now they've made the play that's yesterday yesterday is over with and he's not going to get some rest until they you know until they until they have specifically established their position for the playoffs, whether they can't go down or can't go up or whatever it is. Because as you pointed out, and as I've always said, he's a key guy. He's a key guy to get to that position. And they're also going to say, look, hey, the rest hasn't seemed to affect him so far. I would think in the last couple of games they're going to do everything they can to get him that rest. But I'll be, let's put it this way. I'm sure you will, Minion, but I'll be surprised if they rest him. Yeah, because there's an argument to be made that he's rolling. You're right. Yeah. It hasn't it hasn't affected him, so do the Oilers want to mess with anything that's been going right for them lately? And I, I'm going to agree with you, Sherry. I actually think that the Oilers can make a bit of a run here. Uh, they might have a very, very tough opponent in the San Jose Sharks, although the Sharks have been weak lately. Last night won in overtime. But I'll tell you this, the fact that they won an order, the six-game losing streak. And when we get to talk about Minnesota, make sure you remind me to talk about the Sharks and what their coach has done when they're on that losing streak. That's a time that I want to, I want to talk about that when, whenever on our agenda we slide into the that Minnesota hockey team that's been struggling. But Well, before we get to Minnesota, let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, Sherry. Huge, huge win against the Florida Panthers. They are positioning themselves to get to the postseason. Okay, they have seven games left. They play Nashville, which is a playoff team on the road. Detroit, on the road, non-playoff team. Then Buffalo, another non-playoff team. And then they come home and close their season out against Washington, Tampa Bay, Columbus, and Pittsburgh. That's That's a tough stand, those final four games. So I'm going to ask you right now, Sherry, what does this team need to do to solidify themselves as a playoff team? Well, I would have the obvious up on the board. You're the maker of your own fortune. Okay? But knowing those guys now and the feeling that they have and they, they now believe they can win, because I remember we visited about this in previous shows, Yep. as opposed to hoping they can win, there's a big difference. They believe they can win. And so when I look at that and I say, hey, now that they believe they can win, I don't think they're looking at who the opponent is. I think they can believe. As I visited with Connor Brown last night, uh, who's playing phenomenal, and Hyman gets a goal shorthanded. And these guys, by the way, speaking about the Leafs, you know, Connor Brown's got 17 goals. If those other special players weren't there, he'd be headlines every day. I mean, 
You know, they're talking about this guy being chopped. We, we almost imply that this guy's chopped liver. This guy's a phenomenal, smart. Hey, at the end, at the end, when they just won their game, guess what? And they pulled their goalie. Guess who was on the ice? Connor Brown in the last minute of the game. Think about that. So when you talk about these young things, but hey, no excuses now. You got yourself to this point. They they don't want to look back and say we almost did it. You can be sure they don't want that to happen. They And all this praise... All, all all, this business about how much we love them doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean a thing. The issue is the task in front of them. And they, so, and I think Babcock's got them separated from all his praise and he's isolated them now. They believe they can win, as we said. And uh, the, the real good thing that you mentioned that people don't, that might have missed they have four amazing opponents at the end, all at home. So they're not traveling. They can be properly rested. It's not like we're, hey, we're playing Chicago. It's not like we're playing Chicago tonight and then, uh, you know, we have to be in Pittsburgh the next night or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Or we play one at home and we got to get on the plane and go. They're all at home. We all want just like playoffs home advantage. They've got the opportunity. So they're the maker of their own fortune. Personally, I think they're getting in. I'm sure a lot of other Canadians agree, but we'll have to see. We're going to see what they're really made of during the, those final four games. Well, the real motivation, I've always believed that when, you've got, when you're working with teams, is how much you believe in something. You multiply that times how much you believe you can attain it. And if there's some people in that room that don't believe that, and I don't think that's the case anymore because they believe they can win. So they, if, they, if they believe in it and you multiply that times how much they believe they can attain it, if they're committed to that formula, they usually win. All right, Sherry. Let's get back into the Minnesota Wild. Ah, uh, geez, this is a team that's been struggling, similar to the San Jose Sharks. They're 1-7-2 in their last 10. And Bruce Boudreaux seems pretty fed up with how his team has been playing. He's essentially implied that the fans should get their money back for what they've had to watch lately. And Boudreaux has even kind of thrown Devin Dubnik under the bus publicly, saying that he needs to play better. And I want to know your thoughts about finger-pointing and... Well, Just that whole ordeal. That's a that's a good question, Minion, because I'm I believe in being committed to this core covenant that you and I have visited about. You know what I mean? I believe in positive peer pressure. Uh, it's got to replace blaming and finger pointing. You know, because those are vicious enemies of teamwork. Vicious enemies. So you need uh, mutual reinforcement. You need constructive teaching, and um, and you have to monitor it. So, uh, I like Boudreaux. Never mind like; it doesn't matter. You know, I, res- I respect what he's done. I remember him as a player. So, I mean, 
him and I go back to Confederation. So it's the, always interesting picturing Bruce Boudreaux as a hockey player. Yeah, <laughs> it just really smart player, oh, really oh, yeah. good with the puck. He understands got, the game. Yeah, he, he was you know oh no he was an extremely intelligent hockey player. So now that you bring up, it's, and I'm glad you brought this up because I you know so I didn't forget it and I respect that. Is San Jose Sharks? I watched their coach when they were being interviewed. No finger pointing, no blaming. He said, all teams go through a soft spot in this league. We have to get it together. We have to get it together. There's a big difference. And it goes back to my positive peer pressure. And um, I, that that hit me right away when I saw him interviewed and listened, and I know DeBoer very well, too. He was in our league for a long time, and we competed against each other. So I go way back with DeBoer. But the point is two contrasting approaches publicly. And so I remember I cut many, many years ago. This is in the 70s. And um, four players broke curfew. Good players, really good players. So uh, they came to the game, and, and we had just traded for this outstanding goalie. They all came to the game, and I'm standing by the dressing room door, and they came in a couple hours. They said, where are you guys going? I said, we're going to get dressed. I said, really? If you're dressing tonight, you're dressing for the other team. So if you want to get dressed, you should be going to the other dressing room because you're not dressing for us. You broke a core covenant. Not only aren't you dressing, you're going to sit in the stands and do some statistical work for us. And you tell the crowd while you're sitting in the stands, if you want to, or just say, he didn't dress us tonight. Whatever you want to tell him, you tell him. I gave every one of them a clipboard and had them sitting all over the arena with the fans. And everybody knew them because they were good players. And you got an opportunity to express yourself, whatever. But because you broke a core covenant here, you're not dressing tonight. And how did these players build? Well, the funny uh, thing is, we brought a guy up to replace him by the name of Bernie Saunders. John Saunders, who passed away prematurely who uh, with ABC. Bernie got two goals in the game. We never sent him back. Ended up being one of our top, top players. Ended up getting a full scholarship to Western Michigan. He's a very successful businessman now. And the funny thing is about other people getting opportunities. But when the players realized that we were a pretty good team, and it was the team that counted, not the individuals, I remember specifically we won 6-2. And I called them back. I said, well, let's talk to the team now about how we feel about this whole thing. And we had a team meeting said, it's over with. You understand the core covenant? Let's go on and win something. And we were a phenomenal team from then on. I like that. I like that. That's how you build character. And you know what? And as a matter of fact, that's funny you saying. That's a good point. With Minnesota losing and with San Jose losing, we've, we've, met, we've visited about this before. Losing does not build character. 
That's the dumbest comment since they invented comments. Since people started making comments. Losing doesn't build character. You find out about your character when you're losing. You discover what character we have. It doesn't build character. Minnesota and San Jose are finding out about it. Sherry, last week we were joined by a journalist from The Sun, Steve Simmons. Phenomenal interview, too. Like, just knocked down. Great brain to pick. Oh, yeah. Steve is phenomenal. And uh, we're about to be joined by another journalist from The Sun. Let, let me tell you something here, Minion, about uh, Michael. He's a budding star, just like we talk about athletes. This guy, if you read his stuff, he does his homework. He gets to the core of things. He expresses his opinion when he puts his... Uh, so I'm really pleased to have you join us, uh, Michael. I mean that sincerely from my heart. And for you to give us the time, it's special for us. And I wanted to thank you for that because I consider you one of the stars of uh, sports writing. So, Oh, thanks. Coming from you, it uh, means a lot, Sherry. Well, Michael, it should be fun. Well, I'm, I'm, what I want to first of all talk about, I read your piece on uh, the NHL uh, skipping the 2018 Olympics. And it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward that everybody wants to go there except the executive and the owners. Is that yeah. is that a misnomer on my part? No, it seems like everyone except for, like you said, um, ownership and or uh, Gary Bettman, which is uh, pretty typical. I don't know if they're just holding out for a sweeter deal, things that way. Um, I also think that legitimately they just don't even see um, the benefit in going, uh, kind of a short-sighted view, but I believe that's the reason. And I remember you're a big proponent of that. I remember years ago you were at a hockey summit and you kind of got into it with Brian Burke about the whole yeah. idea of uh, just that, that idea that it's just it's a short-sighted uh, opinion. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, we want to see the best players. I mean, that's what Olympics is oh, about. Oh, the players want to go, and that's, sure. if they want to go, let them go. Like, and, I don't get it. And who doesn't want, like any player? I mean, even the World Cup, as much as we were excited with Team North America, you asked those guys about representing their country as opposed to being in team. It was a great experience, but they want to represent their country. 100%. I also have a question, Mike. Uh, yep. As you said, Bettman doesn't really seem to care whether or not the players go. And in our legal business and sports class at Ryerson University, we're also taught that Bettman doesn't really care as well. So I'm kind of curious, does, should he have more uh, of a desire to want to globalize hockey and, and get it going in Asia, really? Because the potential to spread the sport there and then have a huge hockey player come from Asia into the NHL, doesn't that have potential to just to just make the NHL millions of dollars in the future? Yeah, but he also sees the expansion into Asia and I guess specifically China. Um, he sees it as something where you can do that and uh, without the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why tonight there's going to be the announcement that uh, Vancouver and Los Angeles are going to play exhibition games, and um, he sees that as uh, a means to get there. Um, he doesn't think necessarily you have to have the Olympics. And you know what? Uh, in another four years, um, they probably will end up going to Beijing because that's the one they really care about. You're right. Like you said, um, he just thinks it's like one of those ones where 
Um, South Korea just doesn't provide any benefits. So if they can skip this one and go to the next one, um, he'd be more than happy to do that. Yeah, I think that you make a heck of a point here because, I mean, they want the marketing dollars and TV exposure in China. And then NBC just announced that also they're not going to do a a time delay. Um, So the games are going to be shown at uh, some pretty wonky hours. So I don't think you're even going to benefit by having, like, um, even North American eyeballs on the sport. So that that hurts the NHL as well. Yeah, without question. Something like 2.30 in the morning or something. Yeah, uh, at best-case scenario, you're talking about, like, early morning. So, um, yeah, yeah. so they really get hurt by that. Well, I'll tell you... Uh, I really understand that. I want to talk to you about, I know you've got a project that uh, you've embraced uh, and I'm anxious to read about it when it's completed in a number of months, but about the young guns in the NHL right now. Right. And I started going through, like, this has got to be a phenomenal project because, first of all, you're going to have to, you know, I just went through a quick list here and, and, and who... Who comes off when you're talking about, you know, like, obviously Matthews, Nylander, you know what I mean? We we know that. And and Marner and obviously McDavid Mr. and Michael. McDavid. And we know about those. But then there's Lainey. Lainey, I always pronounce it the wrong way. Lion A. Lion A. Goudreau, <laughs> Monaghan, McKinnon, Wierenski, Jones and Hannafin. I don't know if Bo Horvat is a young gun. Is Riley too old? Is Truba too old? Gelchunyuk, Dreisaitl, uh, Forsberg. Eichel. I mentioned Eichel, Pasternak, Barkov, Druin, Huberto. I mean, this is a hell of a project you got here. Like, yeah, I, and I'm I, trying to limit it to 10 guys. So oh. you think about the names that are going to get left off that. Because uh, right. I'm going for trying to keep it down to 10 players which is going to be tough a lot of times i'm just uh, rotating guys in and out based on how they've been playing this year and what i think they're going to be doing in the years to come but you're right it, it is a daunting task yeah i mean especially just coming up with the names well i uh, mean 10 sounds easy but then the names you, a lot of the names you mentioned aren't even on that list because of uh um just who i have to limit it to right and the point is i give you credit because you know you're gonna you're gonna make a decision you're gonna f- define 10 and then uh, you're going to put your name on it. And, I mean, I, I, I really respect that when you take a position like that. But uh, that's why we love to read about you. And That and, should be fun, though. And, Mike, when you're choosing these 10 players, does it at all have to do with the market that they play in? For example, are you going to maybe lean towards players that play for Canadian teams, or, or is that not going to be a factor? Yeah, kind of. You try not to make it a factor. Yeah. Obviously, it helps if uh, you, know, you got some Canadian guys, but um, it's not the be all end all. Like I don't have anyone from uh, Vancouver just because I don't. I wouldn't put a Horvat in the same category right. as a Matthews or McDavid or no. even a, right. a Goudreau. So uh, right now, I've got Matthews, McDavid, Eichel, Marner, Line, Shifley, and again, twenty three and under. Um, Matt Murray, Johnny Goudreau. Um, and then the next two spots uh, they've been kind of going in and out. Uh, I've got Nylander, and I had McKinnon. Um, I swapped up McKinnon for Ekblad, and I might end up having to swap uh, Ekblad out for someone else. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But 
I'm and, trying to narrow it down as best as I can because I've already done some of the research. So. Yeah, no, no. I like I give you credit. And I didn't even think of Murray. It's an automatic. I mean. Oh yeah. I mean, like, that, you look at Murray. He's the next uh, Carey Price. Really. Sure. He's and, kind of. And what right about now. what about Warinsky? That's the other one. So I might have to put Warinsky in place of uh, a, a guy like Ekblad. But then a lot of times you're. Like a year ago, we might have said, okay, Goss's bear has got to be on this yes, list, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and then his second year wasn't as strong as no. his first year, and then you're going, okay. And then um, how can you not have a guy like Aaron Eckblad who looks like he's going to be a factor on Team Canada in years to come? But uh, in the same way, uh, he's taken kind of a step back. So you, you almost have to do some projecting yourself to figure out, okay, um, we're trying to take the guys who are going to be hands down, slam dunk, uh, yeah. legitimate big stars of the NHL, and um, while McDavid and Matthews are easy ones, even a guy like Goudreau and maybe Eichel. Um, right. It gets a little iffy when you're talking about maybe guys like Nylander um, and, I don't know, maybe right. uh, Marner is also in that category where you're going, okay, is this, uh, um, is it too early to kind of say that he's going to be in that category? Yeah, this is a daunting task when you think about it because in a normal year, like Dreisaitl isn't even in the conversation, and he's got 70-some points here. I mean, people don't realize when, you, when you've when you taken on this project and defining it like you're going to define it and open yourself for criticism, which has never bothered you because you put your heart in it and you sign your name, and I always respect that. And Or guys like Barkov, you know what I mean? These guys, at any other time, these guys would have been on your list. Oh, for sure. And that probably speaks to just how incredible this uh, young crop of players are. Right. And I think we we try to say it every year where it's just the, the young man's league and there's always guys coming up. But I really think that this year has really shone a light on just how important and uh, the rookies are. And you look at Toronto, and that's a prime example where I think half their points and roughly half the points, half their goals, have been scored by rookies. And mm-hmm. I think they've had at some points 11 rookies in the lineup which is just incredible. And it's not just minor contributions. Like we're talking about Matthews, Marner, Nylander, uh, a guy like Hyman who's playing on your top line and Nikita Zaitsev who's playing on your top defense pair. It's a special group. And then you look around the league and um, like we mentioned, uh, Line A was in the Rocky Richard uh, conversation for basically the whole year. Um, And and beyond rookies, like a guy like Shifley, I think you'd, you're putting together a Team Canada roster right now for uh, uh, the Olympics in uh, South Korea, I, I, it'd be hard not to have uh, Shifley's name there just for how big of a jump he's made in terms of becoming that elite number one center. So uh, when you when you look at the guys like Getzlaff and uh, maybe Corey Perry, um, even Patrice Bergeron, um, those guys, they're, they're, not, they're not old by any measure, but they're, um, they're going to get old one day, and even before they even get to that age where you're saying, okay, now their time's up, I think these young guys are already pushing them out the door. Well, and not only that, the leadership of these guys, too. It's just not that they're good hockey players. Matthews it just exudes leadership, and Goudreau, and McDavid, obviously. And when you look at all, well, here's an example that uh, Jesse and I were talking about. Minion to me, Jesse to everybody else. But anyway, <laughs> uh, here's a guy. Connor Brown's got 17 goals. He's on the ice in the last minute of play with a one-goal lead to protect the league 
all the things. Of course, I know him. I'm not just trying to be subjective here. He's. I'm not talking about young guns. But in a normal year, he'd be in the paper every day in Toronto. Yep. Every day. They'd be so excited that they had a rookie that scored 17 goals. They'd be talking about the future and what he's going to bring. And he's he's part and parcel of their success. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and the funny thing is, Sherry, you look at a guy like Matt Murray, who comes off winning right. the Stanley Cup, and I think it was top five in either state percentage or goals against the last time I looked last week, um, tied with Carey Price, and uh, very much a big part of why Pittsburgh is doing what they're doing uh, one year after winning the Cup. Any other year, he's a slam dunk Calder winner, and he might even be a Vezina Trophy candidate. That's this right. year, he's not even getting mentioned. <laughs> he's not even. He might not right. even be a finalist. Yeah. And, and this kid is just like we forget. He's only what at twenty-one or twenty-two years right. old um, to do what he's already done. And I'm like, not. It's not like he's even come out of nowhere. Like he has the record in the American Hockey League for consecutive shutout streak and most shutouts in a season. So. Yeah. Um, he did it. He's basically done it at every level. And you're right. probably familiar with him. I'm very like too. So, oh, absolutely. He was a standout in the Sioux and backstopped them to a Stanley Cup it's last amazing. year. I mean, with, with that, with having played what a dozen or Baker's dozen uh, regular season games, right. so it's really remarkable just how how special this young group uh, of players is. And I, I think we all saw it. At the, uh, with Team North America, and really that that was their coming out party to a degree because a lot of people thought um, this team was just going to get steamrolled. They had no experience. Their back end uh, was going to get exposed. Their goaltenders had no basically regular season experience, and they came into that tournament just flying and really kind of set the tone and came within basically one goal of making yes. it on to the, I guess it was the semis or the quarterfinals of yeah. that tournament in you know, I really wish they had gone that far because I, I thought that they were just getting more confidence as they were going on and maybe kind of striking some fear uh, into some opponent's eyes. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when you came away from the games there, and I attended most of those, a lot of the games, if not, not all of them, but I missed a couple, that's what people were all talking about was Team North America. Yeah. But there's how exciting, how they were all excited about watching that team play. And the and the irony that you point out here with Shifley and all the, these guys are leaders too. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not only going to be the best players on their team, they're going to be leaders on and off the ice. Well, McDavid is already a captain. Shifley is an assistant captain. Right. Um, you look at look up and down the line, like Eichel, that, that's his team there in Buffalo. No question. Um, oh, yeah. So all these guys are either going to be future captains, future assistant captains, or if they're not already, they already are their their team's biggest impact player um, in a lot of respects. So sure. Like, it, it's, it's amazing. Like I said, uh, it, it's rare that you can come into the league and um, stick in the league and make an impact. It's even more rare uh, where you come to the league and you say, okay, I've got ownership of this team already as a, as a rookie. It's, again, it just speaks to not only their talent, but just the quality of the individuals that we're talking about. Like a guy like Austin Matthews, it's almost funny calling him a rookie because he comes comes across as such a seasoned oh, player, yeah. a professional in all respects of the game. Um, this is a guy that doesn't get rattled, has a stoicism that um, even in a market like Toronto, um, nothing seems 
too big for him. If anything, he, he still wants that. He still wants to be challenged. Still wants to take on that next task. And um, I, I think that's why these guys are so successful and are probably going to be even more successful down the road. Is he your Calder Trophy winner, Mike? Ooh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> I think today, yeah. Like you look at him, and he is leading line A in goals by one. He's leading them in points. Um, beyond that, though, something is special, I think, when you're a number one overall pick and you're able to step into a team that finished 30th overall last year, and you are, beyond anyone else on that team, the reason why this is a playoff team right now. Absolutely. And you're playing an important position at center. You're playing with two guys, and Nylander and Hyman, who are tremendous players, but let's face it, they're first-year players, so he's right. not getting any help that way. No. And on the road, he's getting the first, uh, he's getting top defense pairings. He's getting shut down centers. And he's able to score 35 goals. Uh, that's just remarkable. So right now, he's my uh, Calder winner. Um, it, it would take a hell of a lot from uh, Line in these next couple weeks to bump uh, Matthews out of that. Well, I can't see it because not only that, he's a center iceman, first of all. Uh, a noted center iceman against any top center iceman that there is. There's guys that are, okay, I'm not going to take that away, the Crosbys and these guys. But he plays a 200-foot game, Michael. He comes, I mean, you take a look at the responsibility. And he exuded character on the first game, which I've talked about before. He scores four goals. Everybody's waiting to get to talk to him. And all he talked about that he was responsible for the loss, he was on the ice when they scored the winning goal and said, let's not get carried away here about the goals I scored. It's only one game. I mean, he's a way beyond his years in maturity. And when you talk about these great young players, look at a team that's striving to be number one. Wierenski is, without question, a leader on that team. That He's a go-to guy there. Yeah, it's amazing. Like you said, these guys want to be better. Um, if Matthews wanted to, he could just be an offensive player, um, scores 35 goals, and thank you very much, and head out the door. And I don't think anyone would have any problems with that. But like you mentioned, he, he wants to be that 200-foot player. Yes. Um, nothing is good enough. He scores four goals, and the thing that he's talking about is the goal that uh, he was on the ice uh, for um, against. So. Um, that speaks to their character, and Marner's the same way. You watch him, and what is impressive about Mitch Marner is not that he's so small and he's able to do what he is able to do out there. It's the fact that he's also um, as hard or as dogged on the puck in the defensive zone as he is in the offensive zone, and makes the coaching staff's job a lot easier, and I think that translates across the lineup. I, I think when a Connor Brown sees that Austin Matthews is working as hard or a Mitch Marner is working as hard, um, he, he's obviously going to do the same thing, and a guy like William Nylander is the same respect. Um, earlier in the season, and even to this day, um, if you look at what his deficiencies are, it's probably in the defensive end, but he's made strides oh, yes. um, from the first uh, game onwards. And I think a lot of that is because of the other guys like Matthews, like Marner and others, um, even Kadri, are basically setting the tone in that regard. Mike, there's another young player in Toronto that you've had the opportunity to study and he goes by the name of Jack Hughes. I was wondering if you could give some input on him as a player and what to expect from him in the future. Michael wrote a wrote an article on him. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. We're talking about young guys, and here's here's the next wave of the future. I yeah. think Jack Hughes is still what, two two years away from getting drafted in the NHL. I think he's the twenty. I want to say I think he's twenty nineteen mm. or twenty twenty uh, draft eligible. Um, so we're talking about real young. But it's funny when I was coming up with who might be um, the next team North America four years uh, later. Uh, I had Jack Hughes on the list, and, and that's how special of a talent this kid is. Um, he's small. He's he's basically Johnny Goudreau or uh, Mitch Marner, but man, oh man, he has skill. Um, oh. Skates very much like Connor does. Um, really nifty, kind of like Mitch and Johnny in terms of doesn't get hit a whole lot and just puts up just gobs and gobs of points. So yeah, he's a name that I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with. And you know what? I, I think – what we're seeing now with Connor, and I remember talking with Jack about this, was um, his style of play is really kind of catching on at the younger levels. Like, you watch Connor, and nothing is in half speed. It seems like he's got the puck, and he's just trying to go, go, go. And it's very rare that you see a player who's able to stick handle and carry the puck uh, with this kind of speed and the amount of pace that Connor plays with. And yet all the young guys are now playing that way. So it's having a real trickle-down effect. And I think if you think the league is fast now, just wait till these young guys come into the league, like we mentioned Jack Hughes. And there's so many others that are kind of watching Connor McDavid play. And they're saying, okay, basically, that's the kind of style I want to play. I want to have the puck and I want to play with pace. And I want to just keep pushing and pushing and pushing it. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of shudder to think what the league is going to look like in five years when all these speedsters are in the game and it, they're just whipping around the ice a million miles an hour. Oh, like if you can't skate in in a few years from now, you're going to get windburn. You're going to need yeah. <laughs> you're going to need Nuxima to put on your neck because they go by you. But the real thing about Jack Hughes is just like we said about Matthews being a special person, like a top character guy. Just like we said about Shifley and McDavid, like exudes character it comes out it's comes out his fingernails this guy's a high character kid i know the environment yeah. i knew his mother before his father met her and stuff and know what they're all about and but i've often said all the time you know what i mean when when you put character and ability together you get a superstar like matthews and david and these guys said yeah. and that's and, in and the just said, a little and just for a little background for uh, anyone who doesn't know, uh, Jack Hughes, obviously his father, was a longtime player development coach right. for the Leafs. And uh, say what you will about how they develop players, but this guy um, definitely knows the approach to take uh, with his sons. And his uh, eldest son, uh, Quinn, uh, is in the National Development Program. I believe he's committed to Michigan University. Yeah, and he's uh, a heck of a player, year. like a phenomenal should be, player. Should be a top 10 pick, uh, no question, in 2018. So... Uh, yeah, get used to seeing there, hearing about the Hughes kids. Because, and the younger uh, brother. They're special. Yeah, the, younger the younger brother, brother Luke is, really oh, yeah. These guys, he can go around you, the younger brother Luke, but he'll go over top you, too. And and, and the, first of all, their mother was a phenomenal athlete, okay, and high-character people. And so the, the brother that's with the National Development Program, he's the best defenseman on that team by far. And I, I think I think – He's he's a candidate to be the best player on that team. So, you know, these guys have come up in an environment, like you said. I tried to hire his dad as a coach one time. And 
because he is a very good teacher and stuff like that. So as you pointed out that uh, it's it's going to be coming in the future. This isn't the end of the great players. And the uh, thing about the brother, too, uh, Sherry, sorry to cut you off, but no. uh, so Quinn is not a tall um, no. fellow by any stretch of the imagination. And he might be the Johnny Gaudreau of defensemen where we see that um, we see Quinn kind of break through in the NHL as a small, skilled defenseman. And I don't think we've really seen that yet. We've seen maybe a couple players here and there, like maybe Ryan Ellis, um, guys of that nature, but not to the skill level that uh, a Quinn Hughes has. So it will be interesting to see where he gets chosen in the right. NHL and what his be. path looks like because um, he could actually end up becoming uh, maybe the first really high-end skilled, really small uh, defenseman, and if he's able to have success in the NHL, I think that opens a lot of doors for a lot of smaller skilled players that um, maybe are afraid to play defense because uh, it's always thought of as you have to have a, a bit of size to play the position. Well, when I see Ellis playing, I have a lot of respect for him. Remember when he played for the Windsor Spitfires? Quinn Hughes is highly, highly skilled, very unselfish, great vision, just like we're talking about Jack. Okay, so I mean, it's in the family, it's in the DNA, and uh, good upbringing. So, uh, but so we shouldn't be worried about these ten young guns you're talking about, because pretty soon you'll be writing about the next ten young guns. <laughs> yeah, I think part two's already in the works. Right? <laughs> talking about this next group. <laughs> right. Listen, Michael, I I just can't thank you enough. Uh, you know, I like good things to happen to good people, and you're good people. But never mind just being a good person. You're a gifted writer, and, you, you know, we, we look forward to reading you, and thanks very, very much to sharing some of your time with us. All right. Well, thanks for again for having me on. It was, a, it was a pleasure, a lot of fun. Good to talk to you and keep punching. Thank you, Mike. All right. Thank you. Very well-spoken, Sherry. Another well-spoken guest that yeah. we have had on the Let Me Tell You Something yeah. Hockey podcast. Yeah. I'm telling you this. It's really interesting, you know what I mean? And you know what I respect in these guys? You know, I'm a big fan of Steve Simmons because I think he's got a gift, and I talked about his soul when he writes and stuff like that. He put that 100 list together and justified it and said I did my homework. Now he's going to put the top, what he considers the top 10 new young guns, and he's going to get criticized because we talked about all the possibilities. Homework. But he said, I'm putting it down, and I'm taking a position. I'm going to justify it. I mean, I, you know, there's no fence walking with these these kind of reporters. and that's. But they do, like you said, they do their homework. And they take a stance. That's right. They do their homework and take a position. And that's what it's all about. Not willy-wallying around and say, oh, maybe and what if. And, and so I... I um, I really enjoy visiting with these people because, you know, the other thing is they're not all, you know, people that are all wrapped up in themselves, they're overdressed. These guys we've interviewed, they're not all wrapped up in themselves. They just got, they, they, they've got information that they've done, as you said, their research and homework. Sure, hearing him talk about the Hughes kids just, it just excited me. I don't know about you, but it just, it just really made me think, how do you develop talent like this? How do you have three kids who could go on to become potential top 10 NHL draft picks? It's incredible. And our next guest, Sherry, Jack Hughes, oh, yeah. is going to be able to, to tell us a bit about that. Great young kid, too. Great young kid. 
All right, we are now pleased to welcome Jack Hughes to the show. Jack, thanks for uh, thanks for coming in. Jack. Hey, Sherry. How are you doing, Jack? First of all, I wanted to tell you that uh, we're really excited. Thank you for coming on here. I love interviewing highly talented young people that have high character. And uh, I've known you since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm excited because... I really believe in my heart. I'm not trying to be patronizing. You're the best player available in this whole province or that's ever available for the OHL draft. I don't want to demean the whoever got player of the year. Uh, he must be a heck of a player because I know how good you are and I know what kind of person you are. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on. It's kind of yeah. Thanks for having me. No, no kidding here. So now listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell something and I got to hear from you. Because good players and scoring. Stevie Sullivan came to, who played 18 years in the NHL. I got to tell you this quick story. And he was, a, you know, <clears throat> he was a free agent and he wasn't very big. He could skate like you can skate and he could handle, he played 18 years. And we had four scrimmages in training camp. And he got 19 points in our training camp at Sault Ste. Marie. So right away I said to my assistant manager, get him up there and we give him a full scholarship for education and stuff like that. And he was sitting between his parents and I said to him, how many points do you have in these scrimmages? He says, I don't know. I said, you're a liar. Call him a liar right to his face. And he looked at me and the parents had never met me. I said, I've never known a guy that got a lot of points that didn't know how many points. I said, how many points you got? And he said, around 18. I said, you're damn right, you got 19. Now, how many points you got this year? Huh. Um, uh, I, think I, I think I had around 170. 170. In how many games? Uh, 75-80. 75-80. How's your math, Jeez. Minion? How is your math here? My math isn't good, but that's I know that that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I guess so. That's more than impressive. Now tell me something. That um, First of all, I know your family really well. I know the upbringing. I know what it's all about. And, you know, I think your brother, Quinn, who I know very well, too, and I think he's the best, for sure, the best defenseman on that U.S. team, if not the best player. I know your brother, Luke, who I think is going to be one of the best. He might even be better than you two guys <laughs> when, it, when it comes to it. Now, tell me about all this. When you're as talented as you are, the high character that you have, the environment that you, you were brought up in, tell me about this when everybody's saying you're going to be the first pick and you're the best player. How do you deal with it day to day and people talking to you? Um, I mean, really, I'm just trying to enjoy it. I mean, it only happens once, right? I only go through the hotel draft once, so I'm just trying to enjoy it with my friends, my family. Um, just taking it lightly. I'm never, I'm not the cock. I'm not being cocky or anything, like shooting my mouth off. So no. Really, just like. Trying to have fun with it, I guess, and not taking any pressure. Well, good for you. First of all, you're never going to be cocky with it. You've been, you're humble, and you know you've stayed at my house and everything. And I know what you are. And I think one of the biggest reasons you're a star and going to be a superstar is because of your character and because of your upbringing. So I'm not surprised, but you got to be thinking about it. And good that you're having fun because that's what life's about. I used to tell my players all the time, winning is fun. Let's go have some fun. Jack, your dad, Jim, was the director of player development for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I just want to hear from you. 
what role that helped in in developing you and your brothers as hockey players and the type of training and the programs that he puts you in as kids because it's quite incredible to see we mentioned earlier on the show that three brothers could all potentially be top 10 NHL picks one day it's it's incredible to think about and it's no coincidence no yeah for sure i mean the mental things he would tell us, like the things he would be telling the 19, 20-year-old Maple Leaf prospects, he'd be telling the same things to us when we were 10, 11, 12, 13. And, like, just, he made us think like a pro, I guess, and the way we trained, we did so methodically. Like, everything we did, like hard work. Um, he and my mother taught me so much. Like, everything I know is from them, I mean. The things they did with us, shooting in the basement, taking us out for hockey. I mean, they've done so much for us, both mentally and physically. Like, they've made us better people and better players, I think. Well, first of all, your mother was a heck of an athlete. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. And that uh, I knew your grandparents very well, and your grandmother still alive, and your grandfather died prematurely from cancer, which is just a, just makes me... It hurts just when I talk about it. But I can tell you this, that that kind of an environment... I tried to hire your dad as a coach one time. Yeah. Yeah, he told me to suck eggs there and so forth <laughs> time. But anyway, he did... Uh, so I know the family and stuff. And tell us about this. When you're so committed like you are, because I always believe motivation is how bad you believe in something times how bad you want to attain it. I know how bad you believe in it. I know how you live it. I know how bad you want to attain it. So what is your typical week during hockey season? Like, you're, How often are you on the ice? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we, uh, we practice with the Marlies. We practice three times a week. Um, some weeks we play once a week. Some weeks we play four times a week. And then, like, as much as I can, I try to get in the gym, try to get stronger, maybe once or twice a week, and then maybe do a little bit of extra skills with, like, groups called, like, prep, um, pro prep, courage, power. Like, I think that's McDavid's group. Mm-hmm. I mean, we practice four times a week, let's say, in two games, so we're probably on the ice six out of seven days a week. And then, I mean, just the fun aspect of it, like, when it comes to winter time, I mean, me and my friends are always going to the outdoor rink and just playing right. four hours of shin whenever we can so I mean we just I think we just live it and I mean I love it like it's not work to me it's all fun right so I mean I can never get enough of it yeah I mean the 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 thing about it is you love it by conduct going to outdoor rinks I mean I grew up on outdoor rinks and I'm a little bit I'm a couple years older than you but the thing is this is that that's just an example and you couldn't get enough of it like you say you'd be there four hours and uh if the ice was still there, you'd have stayed longer. Mm-hmm. That's your feeling for it, and that's why you're this good, and I'm excited uh, to be able to tell people about it. Jack, you mentioned earlier that your parents really helped you develop into a good hockey player, but also a good person, and that's something that Sherry emphasizes just as much as anything, really, the importance of that, and uh, I think that that's really great that you mentioned that. I want to ask you something uh, in regards to the OHL. I know that you applied for exceptional status, and ultimately it was denied. So I was wondering if you can talk about uh, that experience and how maybe that 
that will help you going forward or if it sparked anything in you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was I was such a great experience going through that process, like all the interviews, meeting the people I did. I mean, it just made me mature so much faster, I think. And I mean, it was just great for me to grow up that fast. I think like, I know like it wasn't really publicized or anything like that, but behind the scenes, it was really good for me. Um, I think it was a blessing that I didn't get it because, I mean, it helped me, like, it allowed myself to stay at home another year and have one more year of mine in midget where I could really excel. So I think I think that process is really good for me, like, meeting the people I did and just hearing things about the league. And I learned a lot of new things about myself as well, I think. Well, Jack, there's no question. I mean, you've, you've seen it. I've known it for years. I mean, what what people, when they watch you, never mind your just ability, never mind his skill, Minion. He's a phenomenal team player, phenomenal team player, got great vision. If you're open, you're going to get the puck. And and it's, sometimes it's frustrating because when you are that got that much ability that he does, he never shows any negativity on the ice, um, you know, which I, I really respect in this guy. And sometimes when you're that skilled and you give the puck and you're not getting it back, you know what I mean? He never showed any negative emotion. And so this guy's destined for big things, like big, big things. And listen, I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, uh, you just, you know, just by listening to you, we know the character. We know the environment you're a product of. You know that I love your parents and you love your family. And But besides that, it's because of the people you are, never mind the fact that you happen to be a good hockey player. So all I know is that big things are destined for you and uh, – I really want to thank you a lot for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Sherry. Good to talk to you. Keep Th- punching. Thanks, Jack. Good luck. Thank you, yeah. What a mature, young individual, Sherry. It's hard to believe it. he's only 15 going on 16, isn't it? Like, you know, I have said over and over with you and all the time we've got to visit since you were a little guy, okay, all the time that the average 16-year-old to 19-year-old that plays in the OHL or plays in the is a way more mature than the average 16-year-old that you run to in the street because of all the decisions, all the things that he had to do. I mean, think about what he talked about, his commitment. Four hours on an outdoor rink playing with his buddies. And it wasn't work. It was fun. Going to the gym regularly. Think about and being the right kind of person, the environment that he's a product of. His mom and dad, I mean, who I know very, very well, you know, with the direction. And it's frustrating when you're that talented, when you're playing with players that they know they're trying their best, but when you're above their ability, so to speak, and that's not meant with disrespect to the players because they're not all born equal as hockey players, don't all have the same commitment. And you're playing with them, and you don't get the puck back, or you don't, you know, do certain things, and not let it bother you. Because inside, it's got to bother you. Because you think, if I just got this, I'm I'm watching a game one time, where he goes in tic tac toe. How's your mama on the defenseman? <laughs> goes right by the guy, does a tick, uh, makes a phenomenal shot, scores a goal, called back as a guy, three zones away, got a penalty. <laughs> And so all those 170-some points he talked about 
weren't one of the points. And so, but he never showed that frustration, never showed the frustration because he didn't get player of the year or whatever it is. And I'm sure this kid is a heck of a player. I'm not trying to demean anyone, but inside when you got that competitive spirit, and especially the guy that got it, he's a super superstar then because this guy's a superstar. And it was even hard for me to accept because I knew him so well, but I don't want to demean the other guy. I didn't see him enough. And, and it's a, it's a what, humbling experience. Sure it is. One day he's going to look back at it and maybe he'll say, this was the best thing that happened to me yeah, what as you a just teenager. Said, what you just said when you asked that question about uh, an exceptional player. So anyway, great, great show today. I mean, good people again. Got insights and uh, now you can... Uh, you, you can call your mom and dad again and tell them how hard you're working, Minion, but uh, I know the facts. Do I ever say this? Are you talking to my parents behind the scenes no, or no, something? No, because no, 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 I'm no, scratching no. my head and trying to remember call, this phone call. You're calling them trying to tell them how hard you're working so they can send you an extra $100 or something. Whoa. Sorry for you. What? <laughs> Have a good week. Keep punching.